The following sermon is from the Westminster Pulpit, extending the worship ministry of Westminster Presbyterian Church, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. We are a local congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America. Please contact us for permission before reproducing this message in any format. continue studying Luke today and come to a passage in chapter 18 that I think is one of the premier texts of the New Testament about prayer. Luke 18 is often called, my Bible labels it, the parable of the persistent widow. I think it often used to be called the parable of the unjust judge. Either title would really fit. Listen to God's word as Jesus is speaking. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? This is the word of our God. When I was a boy, Halloween was a little bit different in that it still contained some element of tricks as well as treats. Seems like today the trick part has kind of gone away, and I'm not advocating that we make any change. But in my time, long, long ago, we uh, thought we could do at least innocent pranks. There was kind of an unwritten rule that property damage would be out, because none of us wanted to be held by our dads by the scruff of the neck for damaging someone's car or anything like that. Soap on windows was allowed. Wax was not. That was, that was where the line was drawn because wax couldn't come off very easily. Well, one of the simple, foolish things, I suppose I'll spawn a rash of this among young people in the church, uh, was kind of brainless. It was just going to somebody's door, holding the doorbell down as long as you dared, and then running as fast as you could go and getting into hiding behind a bush or something before, of course, the homeowner came to the door, very bewildered, sometimes saying unpleasant things when he saw nobody was there. And we never got caught. Not once do I remember any of my friends getting caught. And I did it a few times myself. That's probably the biggest extent of my criminal history, to tell you the truth. (laughs) Well, I tell you about that because I know people who pray like that. They come, if God has a doorbell, they come and somehow summons him. 
and maybe even summons him repeatedly, and they decide, well, he hasn't appeared. I'll stick a note on the door and, you know, let him know what he's supposed to do for me. Maybe I'll come back again, see if he's home another time. And after they go through that routine a little while, they'll tell their friends, well, prayer doesn't really work. I tried it. I gave God my list. It hasn't been fulfilled. Prayer doesn't work. And of course, they're really telling you what doesn't work is that kind of hit-and-run approach. The fact of the matter was, they were probably halfway down the street thinking about something completely different by the time the Father did respond with a providentially timed, merciful, loving response that looked different than what they asked for, but was indeed his answer to prayer. But they didn't stay around to find that out. You need to be aware, as Luke 18, 1 to 8, calls us to prayer, that I think it is hinged from the end of chapter 17, which is about the coming of the kingdom, the literal return of Christ. And Jesus is talking about, as in verse 30, the day when the Son of Man is revealed. And he's calling for alertness and watchfulness for that day. And it's in light of that that he's saying, pray and don't lose heart. You know, you're going to have an event here that isn't going to be tomorrow, and you're going to need to watch for it and and be expectant. And prayer is involved in how you watch for it. Persevering prayer. I like the term in the King James Version, uh, verse 1, when it says, men ought always to pray and not faint. Losing heart's okay, that's what ESV says, but fainting is perhaps a little more direct. And certainly there are many of us, even mature Christians, who in the area of prayer often faint, don't we? All of us. Can I level the playing field and say this is for all of us, pastors and everybody else? We all faint when we could be praying. After all, remember the central place that prayer has in Christianity. It is the first audible sound that a Christian ever makes, just like a baby cries out when it's spanked and held upside down. Why, I don't know if they still do that or not, but uh, there's a language to becoming a Christian, and it is that cry, oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner, and save me for Jesus' sake. That's prayer. That's how we come into the kingdom in the first place. And certainly it's prayer that sustains us, that carries us forward. Lord, help me grow here. Lord, I I need you. I I need your encouragement. I need your guidance. All these things that help us to grow and go on in the Christian life come by prayer. Yes, of course, we need the scripture. We need sermons. We need corporate worship. We need beautiful music. We need fellowship. But we absolutely need prayer. It's the breath that Christians breathe by. So why do we choose to faint so much of the time instead of praying? Well, certainly, prayer comes fast enough from us when there's a crisis, doesn't it? Let you be summoned for some reason into an emergency room with some loved one or friend there in crisis. Go into a theater of war where the bullets are flying. You will pray. You will pray more than you ever have. But why is it in good times and bad in in so-called normal days, days when we could be spending much of our time instead of saying, God, I've got an emergency, we could be saying, thank you, Lord. 
for your goodness. I revel in your goodness. Why aren't we praying those days, day in and day out? Well, as we look at this parable today, first of all, we need just a bit of help with interpretation. Not that it's hidden away exactly, but a superficial glance at this could produce some wrong understandings. And you wouldn't see, perhaps, the fact that this parable is based largely on irony or seeing that the opposite is being held up as an example, not, not the comparison. In the case both of the judge and of the widow, I want to make this first point, and I word it this way, that God is more inclined to bless us than we are inclined to ask for it. God is more inclined to bless us than we are inclined to ask for it. The key you have to see here is contrast with these two individuals. The judge, certainly, in his utter dissimilarity to God, the one who can bestow the blessing or answer the request, is absolutely unlike God. You read about this man and you think, how did he get to be a judge in the first place? He was no respecter of God. He wasn't a religious man. He didn't fear any power higher than himself. And he didn't care about people who he was supposed to serve. Absolutely arrogant and absolutely selfish. We certainly don't want those kind of people to be our judges and our magistrates today. We want those who know there's a power above themselves, and we want those who can be compassionate, even to people that come before them who might be in pitiful conditions. Well, this man basically admits it right out. Here's this widow asking me for some small thing. I don't care to do it, but finally I'm sick and tired of her. She sends me emails every hour. She sends me text messages. She sends me voicemails. She sends me letters. She sends her friends to intervene for her, and I can't stand it anymore. I've just got to get rid of her. And so to get rid of her, and for that reason only, I will do what she wants. I'll give her the justice for whatever it was. We're not even told what it was she sought. But clearly the the reason was just to get her out of my hair. I see young children who are masters of this, don't you? You go to stores, honestly. It's one of the biggest tests of parenting. Who will win when mom is pushing the shopping cart? I want this, I want that. And, you know, keep it up in that tone of voice long enough, and mother's tone rises and her temper rises, and she's angry, and she finally says, all right, I'll give it to you, but her. Guess who just won? The three-year-old. Just one. And learn to manipulate mom in a way that she'll be even better at when she's 13 and 19, believe me. Well, this is not advising that we approach God and learn to manipulate him or simply wear him out until he's finally sick and tired of us and does what we want. Not at all. Obviously, the key to this parable is in a phrase that's not in the parable, but it's a phrase that appears in Luke The phrase is, how much more? That phrase is used in another parable about prayer in Luke 11 that we dealt with many, many weeks ago. The reluctant householder who didn't want to get up, you know, didn't want to come and help with food in the middle of the night, help out his neighbor, and we're told there, how much more will God do this than this lazy bum who won't get out of bed at night? It's exactly the same principle here. Here's a man acting totally from selfish interest who finally will do what is needed, how much more will God, if even a guy like this will help someone, 
How much more will a perfect God of justice and fatherly love help those who come to him? That's the whole point here that you can't miss. And in fact, you even can say the widow is unlike us. Like us in the sense that she's, here's how she's like us. She's helpless. She doesn't have any resource. She can't work this thing out on her own. And that's the way we are when we pray about many things. Widows were especially helpless, you may know, in that society. A woman, you know, people died at earlier ages. You could easily be a widow at 35 or 40 in in the first century society. And you think, oh, that's no problem. Just go get a job. No, there were no jobs. Basically, no jobs for women. No jobs for 40-year-old women. You needed a son. You needed a brother. You needed somebody who was going to help you unless your husband had left you a lot of money. So they chose a widow, I think, for the parable because she's the proverbial helpless person who says, I have no resource. Can't you help me? Well, in that sense, we're like her. But there's a way in which we're not like her, and that's this. She comes to this judge who has no reason or desire to help her, no relationship with her. She has nothing to call upon or claim from him. We come to God as his children in Jesus Christ bound to him and called the children of God, those who have claimed Christ as Lord, and we have a relationship. We're his adopted children. We have a family bond. We have things to claim, everything to claim that this woman did not at all. Do you believe that a heavenly father who is infinitely predisposed to hear you and deal wisely with you is going to ignore you? Or do you believe that it's really about, you know, sort of prying his fingers apart because there's a blessing in there, and if I just get his hand opened up enough, maybe I can get the blessing out? I pity you if that's the idea you have of prayer. That certainly is not what we see here in the point I made, that God is more inclined to bless us than we are inclined to ask him. Now, secondly... We go into another point here to say that real prayer comes from Christ's own people seeking God's justice. Christ's own people seeking God's justice. That tells us something both about the who and the what of prayer. The who part is who can pray most effectively. Verse 7, will not God bring about justice for his elect who cry to him day and night? Now, there are people who don't want to hear that word, and they don't want to hear that doctrine, and I'm sorry, I don't apologize for it. It's all over the Bible. The electos are the chosen of God, those who God has destined to come under the knowledge of Christ and to faith in Christ, whom he awakens to that faith, who Ephesians 1 says are chosen in him from before the foundation of the world. I'm not going to argue the doctrine of election for you. It's it's here. It's we're being told God will certainly answer his elect. Why? Because they are the people who the cross has bought and whom the resurrection has brought alive. And they now stand in this special relationship. They cannot plead or come and God say, who's that? I never knew that person before. By the way, we would say God does hear prayer from unbelievers But he basically hears one kind of prayer from an unbeliever, and that is the cry of faith. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Lord, I want Christ as my Lord. Lord, I repent. 
You know, that beginning prayer to come to him is what he hears from the unbeliever. But he's ready to hear everything and anything from the elect, from his believers. And we don't need cajoling or whining or battering against his defenses. We have, in effect, a a language of prayer that we can bring to him and speak to him that we can be sure he will hear. I used this example and in the first service, one of my sons was here. I don't know if the other one is here today or not. I haven't seen him yet, but anyway, my daughter's here. What if sometime I was out driving the back roads of Leola and it's a terrible thunderstorm, rain is pouring down, my windshield wipers are going as fast as they could go, and I see a pedestrian up ahead of me, and I think it looks familiar, and sure enough, as I get close, it's one of my sons walking along the country road. His car must have broken down. What's he doing there? Would I, let me ask you, would I make this response? Aim my car at the biggest puddle close to him so that I would go through it, wash a wave over him, and then speed off. Would I be likely to do You might think I would, but I... And actually, tell you what, there probably were days in their teenage years when I might have done that for, for some good cause but I wouldn't do it today. Of course, I would stop. Son, what are you doing? You're soaked. Get in the car. Where do you need to go? I'll take you anywhere. Well, how are we with our father? What will he do when his child comes? Is he going to aim the car at the puddle and wash us away and say goodbye? Sorry, I'm not in the mood to help you today. That is not our father. We are his people in Jesus Christ, destined to be his in amazing, mysterious ways from before this world began. We have the special regard of being his family. Well, then, further, this point says not only who God listens to, but what ought we to pray for? Remember, real prayer comes from Christ's own people seeking what? His justice. I could go into a big word study with that word here, but let me just tell you, it's kind of an umbrella word that applies to the things God does that are right. How can God do anything that isn't right? Everything he does is just. He's God. He's perfect in his holiness, in his knowledge, in his mercy. He has to enact justice. And what this seems to be saying then is that those who are his people will want to seek his answers. His just, sovereign, perfect, wise solutions to everything. Thus, when we pray, we're very mindful of the fact that we might be seeking, at least at first, something else. James chapter 4, verse 3 says, You pray and you don't receive because you ask amiss to spend it on your passions. In other words, if I'm going straight in this direction, here's God's justice, and I'm going in this direction. Here's my pleasures, my whims, my desires. They're not necessarily in accord with God's justice. And here's the reason why so many people say, oh, prayer doesn't work. I like to question them a little bit when they say things like that. I say, well, tell me what you had in mind. What did you ask for that you didn't receive and so on? And I find out sooner or later that we're talking about the vending machine. The spiritual vending machine didn't work. Don't you get mad when you put money in a vending machine? And it's either out of the product or nothing happens. And then the worst thing is it won't even return your money. You want to go complain to the management, even preachers. Uh, 
had a few few occasions to get pretty upset with a with a soda machine or something. But you say, well, it's a machine. It's supposed to take the money and give you the soda. What's the problem? There are people that come to prayer that way. Oh, I gave God the request that he didn't answer. He's obviously not interested. He's obviously not the sovereign God who answers prayer. Well, whoever said prayer was a vending machine? Prayer's a relationship between God, the Father, and his children, dearly loved in Christ. And those children are, ought to be thinking and carefully seeking to say, Father, I, I come to you, and I'm just, remember, I'm just the kid, and I don't necessarily know what's right here. I need your help. I need you to even define for me what the right requests are as I pray. Show me what I should be praying for. Because maybe I'll ask something from you, and what I get, if I get what, I, what I'm asking, would be the worst thing that could happen. Many, many people don't understand that why we're called to persevering prayer is that prayer is an educative process for us. As we lay down our request, say, Lord, I think I need this. I think I need to live in a different house, or I need a different job, or whatever it is. I think I need this. How can you guide me here? I'm going to come to you, and I'm going to listen, and I hope your Spirit's going to show me, and perhaps I'm going to learn and have my request shaped and whittled and molded, and, and maybe by the time I'm done, it's going to look completely different, and then you're going to bring something, and I'll say, oh, that was what God wanted. That was his just answer. I just didn't have an idea what it was when I started. Well, thirdly, this. And there's no way to state it but to be a little bit blunt with you, to say that Christian failures to pray persistently can be a symptom of lingering unbelief. Now, I'm not accusing you of not being a Christian. I'm just saying that every Christian, every preacher, every elder, every mature believer has streaked within their faith many streaks of unbelief. Like, think of Swiss cheese with holes in it. That's what our faith is like sometimes certainly isn't perfectly solid. And we struggle at times, and there are things that we, well, yes, we formally believe, but we don't completely take hold of with our faith. And the real reason, then, why we don't pray more persistently is those Swiss cheese holes of unbelief in our faith. Because if we really believed that everything the Scripture reveals about God's limitless grace and mercy and perfect mind and all of that is true, we would pray. If we understood that the way of access is wide open to us as his children, and if there were no weeds of unbelief in the garden, we would pray differently. We would make the time to do it because we would say, why here? This is the greatest thing I could possibly do for my situation." We do make time, you know, for everything that we really want to do, don't we? It's amazing the things people can find time for. You know, watching golf on TV, playing golf in the middle of the winter, shopping, watching your favorite show. You know, I'm in that little club of folks at 9 o'clock every Sunday night, best hour of the week right now, Downton Abbey on Masterpiece Theater. That's a paid advertisement. If we think... We can't pray. We don't have time to pray. What are the things we're doing constantly that we have plenty of time to do? No, it's an unbelief issue we're dealing with here, not a scheduling issue. Maybe it's a wrong concept of God issue. I read something 
probably 25 years ago that I think is possibly one of the most important human observations about prayer I've ever seen. And the longer I think about it, the more true I think it is. The person wrote, almost every problem with prayer is generally traceable to a misconception about God. Almost every problem about prayer is traceable to a misconception about God. We don't understand who God is. That's why we don't know how to pray. We're praying to some kind of an idol we've made of our own devising. But if we are going to the God of the Bible, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the perfect creator of all things, the redeemer, the author of the cross, the power behind the resurrection of Jesus, we would know that we have the privilege of language in a relationship with the greatest person that could ever be. And how can you have a relationship without communication? I actually saw a marriage once a long time ago that almost existed without, uh, there are, I know there are such around, maybe you know someone like this, I trust there's no one present like this. A very long time ago in another church, there was a couple and the wife came to me and she said, Pastor, my, my, my husband won't even talk to me. I don't know how many years they've been married. They coexisted under the same roof. He would talk to her if he had to say, pass the potatoes. Did you take the trash out yet? Uh, why is this meat burned? Or, or that kind of, that would be it. If it wasn't an essential or biting or critical comment, he wouldn't say anything. Now, that wasn't a relationship anymore. That was just two people occupying the same geographical space. A relationship with the living God and with Jesus Christ requires the language of prayer. Prayer is what reshapes these kind of foolish things that we start out asking. And and if we stay long enough and we ask again and we listen again and we even say, well, Lord, I guess I'm not seeing it right. Can you show me how I'm looking at this wrong? You see how we grow through prayer? I made a suggestion in the earlier service. This is Home Fellowship Week here in the church where many of our groups at least meet this week. I was really pleased to have a feedback on this from one of the group leaders afterwards, but I made this suggestion. I said, you know what happens in Home Fellowship. It's a, it's a fine time. We get together. You know, there's greeting time. You just come in and you're all kibitzing and what's happened lately since I saw you last month and everything else. And then, okay, it's time we better get to the Bible study. And, you, and so you have a Bible study and you have a good discussion of that. And, and then, okay, we better discuss prayer requests. And you discuss prayer requests. Each one that is mentioned, you have to ask questions about and talk about for a while. And, okay, whoa, whoa, we're 15 minutes over. We better pray. And so you close with five minutes of prayer. I hope your group isn't like that. What if, what if we prioritized somehow, either by an hour on the clock or something, that the leader would say, we are going to spend at least 20%, and that would be a big percent for some groups, 20% of our home fellowship time together strictly in prayer, not discussing prayer requests, praying, or 25% or 30%. I think God would change the life of that group as you persisted and valued time in prayer with him. You see the ending question Jesus asked here in verse 8, and it relates, I believe, to chapter 17, because he was talking about the time when he would come and the surprise of it and the fact that people wouldn't be expecting it. And so here in 18.8, he says, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? How is that related to what he was just teaching? 
Well, I can only think it has to be related to, will I find people with hands lifted to heaven and expectant thoughts turned towards me and continual habits of prayer that are asking, how are you working, Lord? What do you want me to do? What's your answer here? Will I find that going on? He's not saying, I don't think I'll find any Christians when I return. I believe he's saying, will I find the kind of Christians who are in communication with me, passionately looking to me and persisting in their lives in prayer? I've always loved the mystery of the incident in the life of Jacob in the Old Testament book of Genesis where Jacob, you know, the scoundrel who always manipulated people and deceived and everything, became a rich man, hadn't seen his brother Esau, who he tricked badly early in life. Now he's coming back. He's a rich man. Esau's a rich man. He's coming back to home territory. The night before he expects to meet his brother, he's alone in prayer by the river Jabbok. I don't know what was going through Jacob's mind, but it could have easily been, I'm going to die tomorrow. Esau's army is going to blot me out, and I would deserve it. And it says he wrestled all the night long with one sent from God. That's always been understood. It was an angel. Mystery there, what exactly was going on, is hard to say. But then towards morning, the wrestler, the, the guest, was ready to go and said, I, or I'm leaving or something. And, and Jacob held him and wouldn't let him go. And I loved what he said. I will not let you go until you bless me. Some of us need to learn to say that to God as we wrestle with hard things over a long period of time and say, Lord, what I asked you for, my idea of the answer, the perfect thing that I thought would be hasn't appeared yet. I'm not going to let go of you until I see your justice and you bring your blessing. If more of us would do that, we would stop fainting and start really praying. May God help us all so to do. Our Father, we ask that you would help us, each one, in a difficult area of our lives, something that shouldn't be difficult. And it would seem in heaven one day we're going to converse with you and our minds will be one with yours. We'll know as we are known We won't even need prayer as such because all of our communication will be direct. But now that it's indirect, now that the world has easy ways to call us away from it, I pray, O God, that you keep showing us the value of time with you, whether it be in snatches throughout the day or concentrated times, disciplined times. We pray, Lord, really teach us to pray. For Jesus' sake, amen.